0: Job chapter 19, verses 1 through 29. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me, and you are not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me, and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone and my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? O that my words were written. O that they were inscribed in a book. O that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you follow the story of Job, one thing becomes... Evident about him. He is a conflicted soul. He is a walking paradox. At times he sounds hopeless, while at other times he is hopeful. Though many do not want to admit it, but this often marks the inner life of the Christian. Just consider the sections in our Confession and Catechisms that uh, addresses the issue of assurance. Assurance you'll see that at times Christians may not be assured of being in God's favor. It says that true believers may have the assurance of their salvation in various ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted. Yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, out of which by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived while in the meantime they are supported from utter despair meaning that god preserves their tiny seed of faith that they may never fall away completely into utter despair this is sort of what we see in job's story so far and his friends preaching has not helped at all especially bildad's last hell fire and brimstone sermon which didn't apply to Job's situation. Job's friends ignored his context, which led Bildad to conclude, Job is going to hell. They had a zeal without knowledge, which is a danger to the hearers. So you can understand why Job was the way he was. He was living in a world that seemed unfair, and he was surrounded by friends whose counsel was unjust. Yet the common refrain for Job has been that he longed for God. There is this back and forth between hopelessness and hope mainly because Job still understands that nothing else matters more in this world than to know whether or not we are right with God. He is ultimately asking himself the question Is God for me or against me? Well, he concludes here That it is both. So although he doesn't understand why, but he says that first, God is against him. Yet secondly, God will be his redeemer. And thirdly, God will be there, that is his wise friend's judge. So first he says, know this, God is against me. Job responds once again in his second reply to Bildad's second speech. And it was a brutal speech filled with brutal judgments. Judgments that were unfounded, they had no basis. So Job comes to his own defense. First, he asks for pity. Then, he asks them to recognize his misery and also to recognize his isolation. First, he asks for pity. It seems that Job had given up on asking them for pity in his last two speeches, but no, he is tormented by his accusers who were supposed to be his friends. So he asks, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? The cause of his torment were words, not everything else that happened to him, not his bankruptcy, not the loss of his children, not the loss of his health. The words of his so-called friends were the source of his torment. Remember the saying, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that is not true. Words are much more powerful than we think. God has spoken to his people through the word, and words have been used to call men to repent. Think of how words have guided the course of history through prophets, preachers, and speeches of maybe some famous leaders. You think of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. This is why James later says that the tongue sets on fire the whole course of life, and it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Job says that they casted reproach on him ten times Meaning they have repeatedly and falsely accused him of wrong. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? Even if he sinned. He never claimed to be sinless. But he is saying even if he did. Isn't that his own problem? He is the one who has to face the consequences. The error remains with myself. Are there no words of comfort or relief coming from your lips? Is there no gospel We can say that Job's friends would have failed their ordination exams to become gospel ministers. See, in the first 22 verses of this chapter, he is seeking to understand why they are treating him so harshly when they know he has gone through so much suffering at the hands of God. They were magnifying themselves against Job. They believed that they were his moral superiors when they weren't. They made his disgrace... His suffering, an argument against Job, meaning they used his suffering as evidence in trial to prove that he is guilty. Using the suffering of the victim would be a mishandling of the case and out of order in the court of law. But he says, if that is what they are doing, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. God is the one who is doing this to me. The wording used that God has put him in the wrong is to say that God has perverted justice. And it was a response to when Bildad said that God does not pervert justice. God has perverted justice and trapped him in his judgment. He is saying, God is against me and he treats me as the enemy. He treats me as a sinner and there is no escape. Please show some pity and sympathy. So second, he asks them to recognize his misery. Since he is under God's judgment for no reason, he says, Behold, I cry out, violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. According to Job, God is no help to him. God does not hear his cry, so God must be the one doing this. Then he describes how he has been treated. It is similar to a city that is under siege, much like what happened to Israel throughout our history. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. If Job was to be considered as a king over his earthly possessions, then God has stripped him of his glory and has taken his crown from his head. In fact, he has reduced him to less than a man. God broke him down on every side, meaning all that God had put up to protect his life, including the skin that protects his body, including his hope, which would be rooted in God, is pulled up like a tree, roots and all. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. Job is counted as an enemy of God, according to Job, of course. And the imagery gets worse because he says, that's not all. God is not done with him yet. He says, his troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Uh, Imagine the imagery of all the army, coast guard, navy, and air force surrounding one house to capture one man. At that point, you probably think to yourself, am I that important? Job is saying, why is he concerned with me of all people? I am nothing. Who am I? But all this was to let them know of the misery he has gone through so far. He is suffering the fate of an unforgiven sinner. He is suffering at the hands of God as if he is the enemy. Yet they added to his torment with more pain and suffering through their words. Third, he asks them to recognize his isolation. At this point, he says that he has been isolated from his own family, those of his own household, from the public, from his own friends, and he barely survived at all. He is isolated, avoided by, forgotten, even rejected by and alienated from his own family. He claims that God has put his brothers far from him, And those who knew him are wholly estranged from him. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. Even his guests in his own house and his own servants who are paid to serve him, count him as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife and I am a stench. To the children of my own mother, his own wife and his own siblings reject him. He is a public disgrace and despised even by young children. He says, when I rise, they talk against me. You can imagine the local village children making fun of the weird guy who's always alone and he looks kind of funny. He says all his intimate friends, his so-called wise counselors, abhor or hate him. He adds, and those whom I loved have turned against me. He is betrayed by those who were once considered his closest friends. And that is not all. He has suffered physically to the point where he is unrecognizable. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. He is barely alive, he says. Again, he believes that he is being treated as an unforgiven sinner. He agrees with Bildad that he is in a living hell as he is being tormented and isolated. But unlike Bildad, Job argues that he does not deserve it. Now this may sound exaggerated and it may sound as if Job is just playing the victim. But we do see this as a common pattern for God's servants throughout the centuries. There is a level of isolation that God's faithful servants will feel. The believer will experience some of the miseries of hell in this world. Friends whom you thought were good and loyal friends often fail you or even hate you as soon as you don't follow their program. We have seen this tremendously over the past eight years or so. You can't engage in disagreement without the other person canceling you. That means no more phone calls, no more invitations to their get-togethers. They treat you as if you never existed. And I'm not saying we throw a pity party and play the victim. But it is to clarify that this is part of the call of discipleship. But Job does not understand this yet. He doesn't understand that he is indeed a servant of God, a suffering servant. Servant of God, who will experience undeserved suffering that will lead to glory. Now, Job does sound like one who is under the judgment of God. Uh, Think of the laws in Leviticus concerning those who have leprosy. They are similarly isolated the way Job was. And the reason was that Israel was to be set apart without blemish. And those who had leprosy were a worldly symbol of what it means to be under the judgment of God. Although these laws were limited to national Israel, as Israel was representing the kingdom of God, intruding into the world, and those laws would be eventually abrogated or done away with at the coming of Christ. But yet it helps us to understand Job's state and why he feels as if he is under the judgment of God. And although Job gets the character of God mistaken, we cannot ignore the fact that Job was not the only one who would feel what it is like to be treated as an unforgiven sinner when he was not. In fact, for our sake, he, that is God, made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was not a sinner at all, Yet he suffered as if he was for us. He suffered the misery and isolation of being considered an enemy of God by taking the enemy's place, while all along he wasn't the enemy. He was isolated, avoided, forgotten, rejected, and alienated. He was made a public disgrace after being betrayed by one of his most intimate friends. His flesh was torn to the point that he was no longer recognizable. Then that flesh was nailed to a cross for the forgiveness of sins. Now Job said all this to his friends because he had enough of their false accusations. And he is asking them, Why are you treating me the way God has been treating me? Is this just? So he cries out, Have mercy on me! Have mercy on me! O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. He has come back around to say that God is against him. And his friends resemble God in that vein. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? He is asking, why are you not satisfied with what already has happened to me? Isn't this enough suffering that you would have to add to it? Now, this is a good point to stop and answer the question, Is God for or against Job? And to help answer that question, was it the hand of God that touched him? Now, we have an advantage over Job because we know what is happening behind the scenes. If you go back to chapters 1 and 2, you'll remember that it was Satan who questioned Job's character. Does Job fear God for no reason? Then he tried to tempt God, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. Touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. How did the Lord respond to Satan? He responded by giving Satan permission. Behold, all that he has is in your hand. He is in your hand, Satan. Only spare his life. So Job is not suffering by the hand of God, but by the hand of Satan. God gives him permission and he gives him limits. But it is the enemy of our souls that is to blame here, not God. But Job, as well as his friends, are convinced that it is by the hand of God that he suffers. Partly because in their system, you can't blame evil forces. You can only blame man for the outcome of Job's life, at least for Job's friends. And in Job's system, since he is innocent, God is to blame. Blaming God and questioning God's goodness would be Job's fall into sin. But at various points, Job doubts whether or not God is to blame. Again, there is this back and forth. He asked in chapter 9, if it is not he, who then is it? Then he demonstrated a desire for an arbiter or a mediator between him and God, who would take God's judgment away from him. Then a few chapters later in chapter 16, much like the blood of Abel, he desires that God would hear the cry of his innocent blood coming up from the ground. So he calls on a witness or an advocate who would argue his case with God then Job reveals that the only arbiter or mediator that is fit for this task is God himself. God is the only one able to come between us and God. This is the only way that a true believer can be vindicated and justified. So here, we also see the peak of his faith throughout all of this suffering. Because secondly... Although he believes that God is against him, Job also is convinced that God is his Redeemer and that one day he will stand before him. Notice his desire to be vindicated. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Then maybe someone would read it after I'm gone. Maybe someone would listen. Because his friends were not Maybe someone would present this as evidence in a trial against Job. He had no human help whatsoever in this life. He says, Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever so that it would last into the future. And maybe future generations will read it like we're doing today and give him an innocent verdict. His friends have given him a guilty verdict without a fair trial. What will be the final verdict on Job's life? We can ask that question of ourselves as well. What will be the final verdict of our own lives? Innocent or guilty? This is important when we consider the duties of the ninth commandment, which says, thou shalt not bear a false witness against thy neighbor. What are the positive duties of the ninth commandment. We'd be surprised when we actually read through it. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, and the good name of our neighbor, as well as our own. We have a right to justify ourselves and to clear our name of any bad reputation. Today we live in a culture of slander where we make pronouncements because we disagree with someone. Now, this doesn't mean we ignore someone's faults or we ignore false doctrine and we no longer correct anyone. But the final pronouncements that Job's friends have made were unfounded. They were based on no evidence whatsoever. They claimed that Job was an unforgiven sinner. What evidence did they have besides Job's suffering and laments? So Job desired vindication from his friends who now turned enemies. Job says he is innocent. His friends say he is guilty. Which side will win the day? Is he forgiven or unforgiven? But more than human vindication Job desires divine vindication. So he calls them to look to heaven. And looking to heaven Job has confidence that he is forgiven. And he will stand before God justified. Why? Because he is confident that he has an arbiter, a mediator, an advocate to stand as a witness on his behalf before God when he is finally put on trial. He says one of the most prophetic phrases not only in this book, but in the entire Old Testament. Because not only does he believe that he will stand before God, but also that a mediator or A redeemer would stand before him and for him. He says, for I know that my redeemer lives. The word for redeemer here signifies the kinsman redeemer. This is someone who is bound to you by way of covenant. And usually he is a relative or next of kin. And this redeemer is responsible to restore or redeem your fortune your liberty, or to vindicate your name and reputation. He is there to hear your cries. He takes ownership of you and speaks in your favor when you cannot. He would stand for you when you are unable to stand for yourself. He is your vindicator. If you were wronged, he will come to your defense. If your inheritance, whether land or fortune, is in danger, he will keep it safe. If you were murdered, he would make sure that the murderers would be punished by the full extent of the law. If you were a widow, he would marry you and give you a child. Think of the story of Ruth and Boaz and how Boaz became Ruth's kinsman, redeemer, after she was widowed. Now, we're not sure as he was speaking that he was actually thinking of the Messiah But just like in the previous chapters, chapters 9 and 16, he was convinced that it was God himself that was this Redeemer. God is going to take the stand for Job on Judgment Day. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth, meaning he will be the last to stand on the earth, or the dust that is the dust of Job's grave. He will have the last say on Job's state. He will have the last word, not his friends. He will stand over Job's grave to argue his case and vindicate Job. How prophetic is that? Because he says, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Now some have argued that the proper translation is yet without my flesh. I shall see God. But whatever the translation is, he is saying, after death, he will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Why would you want to take your eyes off such beauty once you see him? My heart faints within me, as it should. Just the thought of this should. So on that day, this Redeemer will deliver him from the King of Terrors from death itself. Now notice how this text reveals to us some key doctrines that will be later revealed in the New Testament, some of which is yet to be fulfilled. We can't help but ask ourselves, did Job realize what he was saying when he said this? First, we must acknowledge the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. These words in the book of Job, and in fact the words of all of the Old Testament, does not and cannot make sense without the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, that is, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because secondly, this text cannot make sense without the coming of the Messiah. This text is prophetic of the Messiah, who is God the Son, who comes in the flesh as a man, as a kinsman, and He stood on the earth. He had to be made like His brothers, in every respect, in order to be our Redeemer. And this Redeemer was bound to us by way of covenant. He heard our cries and came to our rescue. He took ownership of us. He stood for us when we were unable to stand for ourselves. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And He has our inheritance in heaven secured for us. He also comes to your defense against the enemy of our souls, Satan, as our vindicator. And one day he will stand once again on the earth because this is not only prophetic of Christ's first coming, but ultimately it is prophetic of his second coming. And what will happen at his second coming? Well, he will deliver us finally from death. So thirdly, this text reveals to us That there will be an afterlife. Because when Christ returns, He will stand to vindicate His saints and raise them from the dead. There will be a bodily resurrection after the pattern of Christ's resurrection. After the pattern of the man of heaven. And there will be a total renewal of the whole man after Christ's likeness. He said, and after my skin has been thus destroyed. Meaning after He dies. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. He will see God face to face, and we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is with a new body, glorified and fit for the kingdom of God. Now, to stand before and to see God is another way of saying that He is justified and vindicated that he will stand righteous before God. Because the enemies of God will also see God, but not in the same way as Job and as other believers. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your advocate, you will see God and stand before Him counted righteous. You will stand before Him justified, cleared of all accusations, both true and false. Also, Finally, this text reveals that there will be a final judgment. He gives a warning to his friends in the final two verses. If you say, How will we pursue him? and the root of the matter is found in him, meaning he is to blame, be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. It is odd that in such a hopeful text, the final word that Job has for his friends is a word of warning. Because this whole time they have been accusing Job falsely. And they continue to pursue him with words of judgment. They spent all this time judging Job, ignoring that they too will have to stand before the judgment seat of God. They have been slandering the chosen servant of God, So indirectly, they were slandering God. They were the Pharisees of Jesus' day, slandering God and slandering His chosen servant. And the same is true when we attack or slander God's people, His children. But just as much as this has to do with slander, this also has to do with rejecting the fact that there is such thing as undeserved suffering in this world. And the ultimate example of this undeserved suffering in this world is found in the suffering of Jesus Christ. If they couldn't accept the undeserved suffering of Job, then they couldn't accept the undeserved suffering of Jesus Christ. And so they can't accept the undeserved grace which that undeserved suffering accomplished and applied to us. They believed they deserved grace. No one deserves grace. No one deserves grace. So, this is also a warning for all that if Christ, who is this Redeemer that Job speaks of, if he is not your Redeemer, if he is not your advocate, then he will be your judge. There are only two options. See, first, Job knew that he would be vindicated. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, know that you too will be vindicated before God. You will be vindicated from your ultimate enemy, who is Satan, the accuser of God's people. Also, Job knew that he would be justified by faith alone. He confessed that he was not sinless. He said, even if I erred, that was a possibility that he had sinned. But he is not relying on his good works, and neither should you. He is relying on a redeemer, a vindicator, and so should you. Second, the intention of this text was not just to call us to look on the brighter side of things, there wasn't much brightness in Job's life besides God himself. But this text is calling us to look to heaven because we have a heavenly redeemer and a heavenly inheritance. As Paul calls you to, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If my redeemer lives... If your Redeemer lives, then you shall live. That is our confidence. That is our unfailing hope. If you have lost someone close to you, who you know place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, know this truth. Their Redeemer lives. He lives. There is hope for the Christian, no matter your level of suffering. So that we can say with Job, for I know that my Redeemer lives and not the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. So for those who are suffering from whatever it is mental, physical, emotional, spiritual and you're asking why? Am I an enemy of God? Can I not have this assurance? Is he for me or against me? I would say to you, take your cares and fears directly to Jesus Christ because we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and he is the only one fit to be our mediator and faithful friend. Amen.